Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, if you brought your Bibles with me, open back up to 1 Corinthians. That's where we were a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, before Tim and Jody came last week. So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's start with prayer. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. I pray for Children's Church that, Lord, they would uh, hear a lot about you, Lord, and those kind of lessons and those experiences go into who they are as a children, but also who they become. So, Lord, just encourage them, encourage the leaders, and encourage their families, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. There is a problem when people in the church act just like people outside of the church. In today's passage, Paul addresses the believers in Corinth over their division, their backbiting, and them fulfilling their fleshly desires. In other words, playing into all the wrong things that they shouldn't be doing. And they're trying to find wisdom, but they're not looking to Jesus for wisdom. They're looking in all these other places. Now, this is a recipe for someone to have a floundering faith, an ineffective church, and just you lose power. As uh, James says, you have a form of godliness, but you're denying the power. That's where Corinth was at in this passage. So how do you get past that? Well, it's called discipleship. The term discipleship is basically to be a disciple and a disciple look at it kind of like a mentor program or or an apprenticeship. People are doing things and then you go along and you learn how to do that. And so discipleship in the church setting is is for those that who are walking with Christ, we help those to do the same. Well, we see now why there was a call, a clear call for discipleship as we look at our passage today. The first point we see is that there was evidence of spiritual maturity. There was evidence of spiritual maturity. Well, he says in verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people, or some translations say to people that have the Spirit. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. Now, you know that if you're talking to an infant, you're not talking to them like you would, say, a teenager or an adult. Because if it's a baby, it's all these little baby things. And, and you're just giving them something just to see them smile, to see them laugh, whatever it may be. But that kind of talk doesn't help someone who is older and need it. What we see here, it says in verse 2, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world when one of you says, I am a follower of Paul and I am a follower of Apollos? Aren't you acting just like people in the world? Well, what we see from that passage is that this was written not to those that are far from Christ. This is not written to those that were in a different denomination. This is not written even to those that 
that thought that they had some kind of uh, religious priority. This was written to the church in Corinth, the believers in Jesus Christ, the church that Paul began. He's talking to them. So as we're reading this, don't think, well, this is for those lost people, not for me. No, it is for you. And it is for me. When he says brothers and sisters, he is addressing people who are in the family of God. When he was with them, he could not talk to them about the greater spiritual truths and issues because their faith was not deep enough to understand it. It's much like if you ever go back and talk to your high school friends that you hadn't seen in a while. Or you talk to your college friends that you hadn't seen in a while. You go back and talk to them. What are you going to do for the majority of your conversation? Relive the good old days. Hey, remember when we did that? Remember when you did that? Remember when it was like this? Why is it like that? Well, it's fun to remember those things. And those were good times. But you don't have any new information to talk about because you haven't walked together for some time. And so Paul, he started this church. He goes off to do other missionary journeys. And he comes back and they had not grown. They could not take more spiritually charged things because they were still, as he says, drinking milk instead of solid food when it comes to their spiritual life. Paul referenced the divisions that he mentioned previously in this book a few chapters ago. They were they all said that they were Christians, but some said they were, well, I'm a follower of Apollos. I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so they they all were followers of Christ but they had their own personality, or better better yet, their favorite preacher that they were devoted to. They were more devoted to their preacher than the message that they were preaching. And Paul is saying, in that sense, when you are being selfish and territorial about your speaker and not, and not being unified by the message, then that is where we have a problem. Folks, we have that problem today in churches. We have so many different denominations. Even within our own denominations, we have different types of churches in that. Many of you can think about many of your friends who go to many other churches in this town, and everybody does it differently, and everybody lands in a church that they were comfortable with, and I don't have a problem with that, and I'm not here to to disperse doubt on any other preacher or any other church, but my thing is, is that, look, I, I know I am not... I am not the next Billy Graham, and I am grateful anytime somebody comes to this church to hear the gospel. But it's not about my teaching. It's not about the way I do it. It is about what we are teaching, what we are singing about, what the Bible study leaders are teaching about, what the children's church is teaching about. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you hear anything other from my lips than the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you just let that go out one ear in and one ear and out the other. Because instead of striving to rally around the gospel and the teaching of Jesus Christ, the people of Corinthian church are more concerned about following their favorite preacher. And so the members of the Corinthian church were being controlled by their selfish desires and their need to be better than somebody else. They were acting like spiritual babies. They were immature. They were not growing. You show me a church that is fighting, and I'll show you a church that is, has members who are spiritually immature. Look, I don't care if your family has been in the church all this life, and you inherited a position as deacon, or you inherited a position as lead this or lead that, but if you are not growing in your faith, then that shows 
Not just with our church, with any church. In our church, I'm telling you folks, and I'm just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. You know, as we go through the, the, the books of the Bible, topics come up. And as I saw this, I thought, okay, here we go. Because there is a rapid, desperate call at Holman Park Baptist Church for the men and women to grow in their spiritual walk. Not so the preacher will be quiet and leave you alone. Not so that you can be better than somebody else. Not so you can even feel better about yourself. But if we are not growing, we are dying. Those kids in children's church are cute. But if we say, okay, everybody get up and go to church, and so one of our adults gets out there and goes in there, and they're not the leader, they're sitting down and they're doing all the stuff, that shows immaturity, right? So as we continue in this passage, we see that they had no appetite for solid food or teaching. It said they were good with knowing enough basics to say they were a Christian, but not enough to convict them when they did wrong. You see, the problem was, is they were too used to spiritual junk food. If I were to sit here and consistently preach messages on how you can be a better person and how you can excuse the sin in your life and that, that Jesus wants you to be all that he wants to be and he loves you and he knows that you have hang-ups, but he just wants you to just be happy. Those messages are flourishing they're being out, I mean, the, today you can turn on the video, you can turn on uh, your podcast, whatever you want, you can find plenty of those messages. And again, I am not criticizing any one person, and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but the truth of the matter is, is that people lost their taste for the, the broccoli <laughs> and the carrots and the cauliflower and the healthy food of the gospel so that they can get those quick sugary treats that go in their hearts, make them feel better about themselves, but there is no call to repentance, there is no ownership of sin, and there is no spiritual growth. That was the church at Corinth. So a life point we can take here is that not pursuing growth in your spiritual life is stunting your spiritual maturity and keeping you from being all that God has created you to be. I know that's a long statement, but but basically not pursuing your growth affects more than you. It affects all of us. It affects the church when we're looking for leadership and we're looking for people to lead us in spiritual directions. Look, I don't want it to be the Pastor James show. I'm grateful that we have deacons. I'm grateful that we have Bible study leaders. But there are still people within our church that if they were just to take that next step and quit just depending on one service a week to feed them for the whole week, that they can find on their own the great treasures of Scripture. But there's got to be a desire. There's got to be an appetite. And most of all, there's got to be somebody willing to show them. Then he introduces the concept of a carnal Christian. Have you ever heard of the term a carnal Christian? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get into it just for a minute. So you're going to hopefully understand what this is. But a carnal Christian is someone who is a believer. They prayed to receive Jesus Christ. They walked the aisle. They got baptized. They, they, they come to church. But there are just some things in their life that they are not letting go of. They're saying, God, I'll give you everything, but you can't have this. 
or they started out with great intentions and they thought that they were going to take on hell with a water pistol when they got saved. And then all of a sudden, two, three, four years later, they're in things that they never dreamed that they would be in. Does that mean that they weren't saved? No, it means that they are allowing physical desires, sinful desires to take over and basically push out any kind of spiritual desire to grow with God. So the Bible calls that, like those of you that like the King James Version, it says, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy, strife, and divisions, and ye not carnal, and walk as men. The New Living Translation said you're controlled by your sinful nature. Same thing, the word carnal is another word for the word flesh. And it's also a word for the word Meat. And as I put up here, there's, there's two different usages here. The first one is what Paul is using. They are fleshly and carnal, carnal, meaning that you are defaulting to your basic nature of your body wants and your heart wants whatever it wants and forget what God wants. Just like these Christians in Corinth, they knew better, but they were fighting over, they were divided and they were not on the same page. And then, the other translate or the other usage of it is actually it means flesh. If you ever, if you like Mexican food or Texan food and carne, carne desada, carne, whenever you have carne in it, I know this is great theological discussions. Carne means meat. All right. It, it, but so what Paul is saying here is, is that you as believers are catering to your lowest common denominator, which is your physical drives, your emotional needs, and your need to please yourself. And that is why the church is not unified. You are not discipled. You are acting like spiritual babies. That's the the paraphrase of that. So in here, Paul is describing three types of spiritual people. And I'm going to bless you with a chart. I know you all love charts, right? No, not really. But... Oh, man, this is kind of cockeyed. But we see on the left the type of believers. There is the Holy Spirit-filled, God-serving believer. As we see in 1 Corinthians 2, 15, I'll read it for you. We talked about this last week. It says, Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. This kind of Christian knows the things of God, and they put them into practice. It does not say that they are perfect. It does not say that they don't struggle. But what it does say is, is that they know the word and they seek to put it into practice. The second one is the carnal Christian. And I put down here the spirit grieving Christian. You see, the spirit filled Christian was God serving. The spirit grieving or the carnal Christian is self Serving. Paul says that I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. So he's telling them, look, you're acting like babies. This is the person that knows the things of God, yet in acting out their sinful nature with no conviction. That means that is the believer who started to sin and it felt really bad and they knew that it was wrong, but they kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it until finally that, that conviction is gone. And now you've got a, a, uh, a, um, 
a definition for whatever problem that is. You're a victim to it. No. You kept on and kept on until God said, okay, you won't let go of it? You have it. He's done that. I've prayed before. I've prayed, God, if you can't get that person to return to you, break them until they do. And sometimes he does that to you. Sometimes he does that to me. He says, okay, James, you want that big boy? You can have it. And it doesn't always work out good. But he's always there when we return. So there is the spirit-filled, God-serving Christian. There is the spirit-grieving, self-serving Christian. And then there is just natural man. That is the person that is spiritually blind. We would call that person a person of the world. Some, some people would call them lost. They don't know God. And here's the thing. I almost feel better about someone who is lost than someone that is carnal. Here's why. The lost person doesn't know any better. They don't have the Holy Spirit within them. They don't understand Scripture. They are spiritually blind to the truths because God has not revealed that to them yet. But those who are carnal Christians, they know the truth and they reject it anyway. I remember years ago when I would, I would be, I would bring the progress reports home when they would say, you know, it would not be good. I thought D standing for diploma. My parents didn't agree with that. You know, and so I would get this grade and I would come back and then they would say, we're going to take this away from you or whatever. And then all of a sudden the grades go up and they're like, oh, that's great. We know you could do it. We're so proud of you. Is that what they said? No. Why didn't you do it in the first place? Because I didn't have the proper motivation. I didn't have the incentive. And then so when, when we do something for the Lord, we're very proud about it. And say, God, look at what I did. And God is saying, well, you should be doing that anyway. But when we don't, and when we don't apply ourselves, and we don't desire that, we know the truth, but we reject it. A lost person does not know the truth, so they can't reject what they don't know. Which is worse. It is an immature, carnal Christian. So my question is, which one are you? Some Christians believe that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Some people believe, well, if they're a true believer, they will never backslide. You show me in Scripture any biblical hero of the Old Testament or New Testament that did not have issues with God, that did not have issues with sin, that at some point they just basically flubbed everything. But yet God still used them. I would say this, is that if you prayed a prayer when you were two years old or whatever, or, or you went to a crusade, or you the, the preacher just got you and, and you prayed a prayer and, and you really didn't understand what there was going on, and there was no life change, I would say that if you can sin and not be convicted about it, you are in one of two camps. One, you were never saved, you just prayed a prayer. Or two, you are a carnal Christian that has backslid so much that it doesn't bother you anymore. But I'm telling you, it bothers God. It bothers your family. It bothers your church. It bothers your work. All of these things come together when God's people do not act as they should and do not grow in their faith. Second thing we see in verses 5 through 10, don't argue over who your favorite teacher or preacher is. Only God does the growing. He says, after all, 
Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom we believed in the good news. Each of us did the work of the Lord. He gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants, the one who waters, work together with the same purpose. And both will reward for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. This is great advice for preachers, teachers, and leaders. You must be careful to not take the credit for what God is doing in your ministry. If we have a good Sunday, I better not go home and say, boy, I am great. We had a great attendance and oh boy, so-and-so is here and, and I got a boy, and that was a good service. That was a great Sunday. If I'm tempted to take the credit for that, when it goes south next Sunday, and I go, oh my goodness, that, that was a dog of a sermon. They even told me it was. If you take the credit, you'll shoulder the blame. Here's what I know at the end of the day. God has called me to take whatever he has given me through the Holy Spirit and read these passages and tell you what I'm telling you now. And it's up to God to grow it. We had a great time last week where we put the pink dogwood tree in memory of Miss Bobby out in that corner. And our team did a great job of, of getting the soil ready and putting the, the right fertilizer on there and getting it buried. And, and uh, they were going to put a, a marker on it today, but I think we're waiting on that. Is that right, Ellen? Cause of the weather? Cause it's raining. So when, when the weather's better, we'll go out there and do that. But as we're planning that, I'm thinking about this passage saying, you know what? I know I have a black thumb. I can't get anything to grow. But the people that do that kind of stuff, we all know that we're going to do our best care to get the soil ready, to put it in, to make sure the tree is watered so that it will grow. But who grows the tree? God grows the tree. So if we talk about a spiritual walk, if you are not where you think you ought to be with God, then maybe you need to let him grow you. Because spiritual growth only comes from me. It doesn't matter if I preach the most perfect sermon ever preached. That won't happen. I know that. But if God is working in your heart and giving you the desire to grow, I promise you we will give you the tools to make that happen. The third thing we see, anything not built on Jesus Christ will fall. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already have, which is Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a award. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. Tony Evans says this verse affirms the eternal security of unfaithful believers who will enter the heaven with little or nothing to show in terms of service to God and his kingdom. 
He says in verse 16, don't you realize that all of you together in the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys the temple for the temple is holy and you are that temple. Folks, we are when it says that we are the temple, we are the church. It doesn't matter what the church is meeting down the street. It doesn't matter what the church is meeting in another part of the country or another part of the world. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we are united in him and we are one. And because of God's grace to me is what he says. Paul knew it was only by God's grace that he was able to minister in this way. Think about it. Paul is writing this. He used to kill and persecute Christians. And now he is the main apostle that is, is bringing it to the forefront. You see, God is more concerned about the quality of what we build over the size or quantity. I've really been convicted, and I preached about this about a month or so ago, when, when I remember that our church was not a church. Someone in a church didn't get mad and start another church. That's not what we came from. We are not the result of a church split. We are not the result of a pastor that didn't get his way in one church and went to another church. Our church is a church plant reaching the down-and-out people of Tintown because one woman cared enough to make a difference. That is the foundation that we are based on. The foundation that there are needy people that need Jesus Christ, and instead of looking our nose down at them, we need to go after them. i got news for you. There's not going to be any kind of big community renovation to where we're going to be like the other side of town anytime soon. We are what we are. We are a hospital, a place of light in a dark community. And that's not going to change. And we need to quit fooling ourselves to think it's about the building, to think it's about the carpet, to think it's about the preacher or the music, and that we are here because God has called us to minister to this community to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Whether we have five doing it, 50 or 500. Finally, the call to discipleship, verses 18 through 23. He says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by the world standards, you need to become a fool to truly be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. So don't boast about following particular human leaders. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. He breaks it down here, folks. He tells the church at Corinth, quit being divided by who your favorite preacher is. Quit thinking about these petty things. Quit acting like children. Put your stones down. Quit throwing them and start to come together on what binds you together. Look, I understand this. There are many people that think that running a church is like running a business. I've been in several churches. Some of them have been seat of the pants and some of them have been a CEO corporate ladder kind of kind of big deal. I've been in churches where I was the only person and I've been in churches where there were 21 staff members. I understand the difference, and I can't tell you the number of meetings I've been in, whether it be finance team meetings or um, 
personnel meetings or meetings to get new um, uh, computers at a church. Not this one. This is somewhere else. And I always know somebody's going to say this. Well, at my job, this is what we do. Look, I think that's great. I think that when you are working in a factory or you're working whatever position you are in, uh, we were wanting to get computers for the staff members. And that, computer, that, that guy said, well, at my job, we have one computer and we put it on a cart and we roll it to whoever needs it. Sounded like a good plan, right? But I've been in meetings all the time. And if some of you said that, I'm not talking about you. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to have business-like practices. We need to be professional as a church. But at the same time, there is an element of faith and growth and responsibility that you do not find in the business world. Worldly businesses, they depend on promotion, prestige, and the influence of money and important people. Churches shouldn't be like that. We should depend on Christ and Christ alone. The church depends on prayer, the power of the Spirit, humility, sacrifice, and service. So God is calling all of us to grow in our faith. And not only that, to build up others. You know, the, 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 the main thrust of this message this morning is one of two things. One, it's encouraging you to grow in your spiritual walk. That maybe you are still drinking the spiritual milk, so to speak. You know John 3.16. You, you know enough to, to go to the, the passages when I'm here. And you, you, you've got enough to really understand who Jesus is. But what about the deeper things? What about when the bottom falls out? Or what about when you, you need to start grappling with all of a sudden your son or daughter comes home and starts talking about some theology or doctrine that you've never heard of that their friend's talking about that they go to a different church and they believe something differently. What are you going to do then? Well, preacher, I need to talk to you. When I sit back and I think about where I was when I became a Christian, I remember those first three years. You remember your first three years as a Bible-believing Christian? Whew! Man, it was like you were floating. Everything was great. Then somewhere along the way, it turned into a, a grind, a daily grind of saying, look, I'm going to do my best today. And I may not be where I was yesterday, but I'll be where I need to be. And then as you look back in your life, you see the tests and the trials that you've been through. Look, I'm telling you, 18, 19, 20, 30-year-old James never wanted to be a pastor. But yet, we're here. Some of you, if you were to go back and you were to look in the rearview mirror and see what you've been through, you can say that it was the hand of God and it was discipleship, it was scripture, it was growth that brought you through it. Some of you are here in the church today because of the second reason is that you may not be the person that is targeted to grow in your faith. You may be the person that's targeted to help somebody grow in their faith. May we never forsake our responsibility to grow in our faith. You may not see it now, but dads, your children are depending on you to grow spiritually. Moms, the same thing. You don't have children, your spouse, your family, your extended family, they depend on you to grow. There's no, you can't, you can't farm out 
the spiritual growth of your family. It's up to you and you alone. We need to heed the call for more discipleship. We don't need a spiritual nursery filled with babies that just want milk. Desire the more fulfilling truths of God and work to find them because you will be rewarded and the church will grow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. And as we see the church at Corinth, they were divided by who they thought their favorite preacher was. And and I'm sure there were a lot of other things that were going on that was just proof that they weren't mature as they ought to be. And Lord, I just say humbly and honestly, Lord, if there are things in my life that I need to, to grow up with, show me. And for the people of our church, if there are areas where they need to step up and grow, may you show them. Look, this is not a message to guilt anybody into doing anything. I'm just preaching the gospel. I am preaching the book as the scriptures fall out. And Lord, your word is doing the teaching. Your spirit is moving. So Lord, I just pray if we can do anything today, as we have an invitation, someone may want to come forward and rededicate their lives. They may want to become a Christian. Maybe they want to, right where they are, make a commitment on this day to grow in their walk with the Lord. And if that's you today and you want help with discipleship, you want help in learning new things, talk to me, talk to your Bible study teacher, talk to somebody, and, and we'll get that started because it's only going to benefit you and benefit this ministry. God, this invitation is a time for you to work. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.